You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hi, nerds. This is Sarah and Casey coming at you with another episode of What the History. So today, What's up? today <laughs> it is time for another Badass Babes episode. And we just yep. decided to jump into something we know nothing about and talk about science today. So Ooh. we are going to talk about Marie Curie. Yes. Um, as I said, we know nothing about science, so bear with yeah. us as we pretend we do. This could be a small dumpster fire as we try to talk about some incredibly complex things. It's fine. Um, we, Whatever the internet told us, we decided was true. And we're just mm-hmm. going to go with that. Yep. I also realized that we've had a pretty common theme recently in terms of radiation poisoning and also the early 1900s. Because if you listened uh, last week, we covered Asfran, as Sarah yeah. and I have been love- like lovingly calling it. Asfran. So, yeah. So there is like an overlap in terms of time. Um, there's sure. also an overlap of radiation poisoning a la Chernobyl. And I'm super excited because I haven't even more like surprise comeback of an earlier episode that I will Ooh. reveal later on. Yeah. I'm excited for freaking that too. out. Yeah. It's going to be great. So this awesome. is like a really good culmination for our, what is this? Eighth episode, I think. Eighth. Yes. Yeah. Man, time is flying and also has no meaning anymore. Basically. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So getting into it, Marie Curie, if you've heard that name before, but you're like, I don't know who that is. She was a physicist and chemist who was a pioneer in conducting research into radioactivity, and she's actually going to go on to win two, that's right, two Nobel Prizes, one in physics and the other in chemistry. And she is incredible. This woman is, I was texting Sarah for most of my research, just low-key freaking out because she is incredible. Right. And again, like, I don't understand what she did, but I understand that it was cool and good. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And she had a really interesting, I mean, I guess maybe like it's the teacher part of me that like really admires her drive for education. But Mm -hmm. like this woman is just the picture of like resilience for me. And I'm just like super stoked to kind of get into her because she really has an all over the place kind of life, especially like growing up. So, yeah. But all right. So let's see. Marie Curie was actually born Maria. Oh, this is the other fun common theme is names I can't pronounce. Oh, yes. So (laughs) she's Polish. She was born in Warsaw, Poland, which was part of the Russian Empire. And she was born as Maria Skladowska. 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 Yep. I don't know. Uh, On November 7th, 1867. And her parents were Bronislava and Vad. Vladislav. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. She was the youngest of five children. Zofia with a Z. Joseph with a Z. Bronislava, same as her mother's name. And Helena. So shout out to Helena for being the only other name I can pronounce other than Maria. Basically. Uh, And both of her (laughs) parents. Yeah. It's like, uh, was Bronislava the mother or the father? mother because she's got three sisters and then a brother joseph interesting because i assumed that vladislav was the mother because when i look at it it contains the word lady 
Oh yeah. And so I Lady Slaw. Yeah, Lady Slaw. And so I just thought that was the mom. I didn't even think that, honestly. I thought it was the male, like I thought it was the father because um Vlad. Like that's like what I kept. Oh, hearing. true. True. I but just now that I'm looking lady. at it, Lady Slaw. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's all I'm seeing now. Exactly. Um so Bronislava and Vladislav were both teachers. And they had actually previously come from fairly wealthy families, but those families had lost significant money and property in the various attempts for Poland to, like, rise up against the oppressive Russian Empire. Because we're still not in Soviet Russia. This is when we have, like, the Romanov family that's in power. Okay. So I'm sure we'll cover them I was say, we'll get one to them. day. Yeah, yeah, but I don't even think Nicholas is the czar just yet, but it's, like, his family that's in charge of Russia right now, and they're pretty, I mean, oppressive and pretty brutal, Yep. Um, especially to Poland. Poland, unfortunately, is a country that, like, notoriously gets shit on, so her parents had both been a part of these, like, movements to try to, like, liberate Poland, essentially, um, but they had been unsuccessful, and they caused more financial difficulty for Maria and her like siblings because of just the generational like financial struggle basically. So her father taught math and physics and directed two different gymnasia for boys, which when I first read that I was like, "Oh yo, that's so cool. They had gymnasiums." But actually, that's not what they were. Gymnasia oh. were secondary schools, so comparable oh. to today's like high school. So yeah. it's not as cool as it sounded. No, not at all. It sounded like kids like ran around and did gymnastics in right. this like huge building and it was kind of a huge letdown when it was like, nope, it's like high school. Yeah. So even though I teach high school, I'm like, boo. Yeah, but that doesn't sound um, as fun as a gymnasium. No, I'm picturing like um one of those like giant centers where they have the trampolines. Right. And like the and balance. Then you can beams. jump into cubes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But yeah. no. It was like a school for boys. Well fine. Um but I think that's because not every child was able to go to school beyond grammar school. Right. So a secondary so school. A like, gymnasia. Was mm-hmm. a thing. Yes, exactly. And it was like kind of an honor for you to be able to go. Right. So, yeah, education is going to be a big theme throughout this, like I said earlier. Um, but Maria's paternal grandfather was also the director and principal of a well-known primary school. So this was like a perfect example of family of teachers. I know a lot of my coworkers actually have teachers in the family and that's how they got like involved in teaching in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I find teaching is a pretty, uh, I wouldn't say genetic thing, but it's like a hereditary, like familial kind of endeavor. Yeah. Um, because Maria's mother also operated an all girls boarding school, uh, which was in Warsaw. Yeah. Okay. In Warsaw. But she actually left the position after Maria was born because, you know, having five kids is a lot of fucking kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more I teach, the less children I want. I originally started at four. I'm down to three, possibly only two. Fair. (laughs) It's a lot. But it's cool because she was a working mom for, you know, running the boarding school for girls and then also having four kids. So we got another badass babe. Yep. Eventually, though, Russian authorities took out chemistry from the schooling system. So basically, the theme I got to for this, like, early part of Maria's education was the Russian government really controlled education and what was like taught in the classroom. Yeah. So Maria's father 
had to take his equipment home and was no longer allowed to teach chemistry. And so he had this like at home lab that he would teach his young kids with. And from a really young age, Maria and her siblings were exposed to science and chemistry. And the reports that I was reading said that Maria was often described as taking after her father and being very curious. And she just had a genuine passion for learning and especially was like particularly bright with chemistry and mathematics. And she just really enjoyed spending that kind of time with her father and learning all of those things. So I thought that was actually really cool. Yeah. I was also picturing one of those like kids science kits. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's kind of like the vibe I was getting. But it probably was like actual legitimate stuff. So it's I've made all these connections where like I think I'm Marie Curie now because there's things that like remind me of my family. (laughs) Because like okay. This is gonna sound so crazy, but my family until my dad was like 13, they were like extremely rich. They owned a ton of property. And Mm. someone literally, I think my dad's uncle, like ran off with the family fortune never to be seen again, type thing. Oh damn. And they had to like move into a motel. So I'm like, Wow. First of all, so we both used to be rich and I was supposed to be rich, and you can tell by my shopping habits. (laughs) Um And then, like, my grandfather, so my dad's dad, was a science and math teacher. Oh, And, like, did that stuff at home. And they were also, like, he lost at least one job one time for being a little too um, radical at Mm -hmm. some point. Like, I... There was some point where he was trying to get a job at like a shipyard or something. And one of the questions was straight up like, do you support a socialist uprising to like overthrow the government? And my grandma had to be like, no, you can't put yes. I know you do. (laughs) This is a trick question. They're trying to get you out. (laughs) Yeah, like you need the job. So just lie and say no. Um, We know it goes against your basic principles. Right. You cannot put yes. (laughs) Right. Um, So basically, I'm Marie Curie is what i'm learning that's so cool are you also also polish um no but i am russian oh you know what it counts we're gonna like let it i can't do science but other than that i'm marie curie (laughs) 100 percent. i believe it you know what i had a student who actually i was just talking about her too she believes that she was um oh my goodness what is the word i'm looking for reincarnated Mm -hmm, she mm -hmm. believes that she had has lived like 20 different lives Okay. And like all of these like memories like flood her brain sometimes at these like random moments. That's crazy. Like one time we were watching a documentary on the French Revolution and the next day or like right after class she came up to me and she was like, hey, so I don't know if this is going to sound really weird. It probably is. But like I kind of had this like feeling that I've been there before. And I was like, what? Like, I oh, no. eat this shit for breakfast. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Tell me more. And she's like, yeah, she, like, thinks her name was Sophie. And she was having these, like, weird almost, like, flashbacks or, like, deja vu moments to, like, riding a horse in the woods. And okay. I was like, this is cool as shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm so jealous. That's awesome. That is cool. So I believe that you could be Marie, Cur- Marie Curie reincarnated. Thank you for your validation. You're welcome. You're welcome. If you also think that Sarah could be reincarnated. <laughs> from Marie Curie, please email us at wtsdreampodcast.gmail.com. Oh, um, let me know. Okay. <laughs> let us know your thoughts. So like I said, eventually her father uh, lost his job. Oh, no, you said this oh, because I- he was also very – well. Marie Curie's father was very pro Poland because okay. like of what I was explaining earlier. So yeah, you actually said that your grandfather was like 
very similar. So he lost his position and the Russians kind of got tired of his bullshit. And so (laughs) he had a harder time finding like a well-paid school position. Right. And I actually put a specific bullet point here because teachers at one point were paid well and they were actually revered in society. So like, (laughs) imagine that. Crazy. So, yeah. So after a bad financial investment, the family decided to open up their home to board um, young men to make extra money for the family. So I don't know like what that means. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, they use the term boys. So I was like, are there like five-year-old to 10-year-old boys like running around paying money to live there or like... Maybe it's like, okay, you said French Revolution. So you know how in Les Mis, she like can't afford her daughter and she pays these people to take care of her. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's actually probably what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a word that isn't, you know, in Les Mis, but that's my point of reference. I know. I was thinking, I was like, hopefully these poor kids aren't like little Cosette who like. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Runs away with a random stranger. Also, did that like bother you? Yes. When she's like, he's like, don't be afraid. I won't hurt you. And she's like, okay, I'm Cosette. And I'm like, Cosette, we don't talk to strangers. Cosette, how many times have we had this conversation? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And now she's like, okay, I'll run away with you. Like, damn. Daddy. You're lucky (laughs) it was Hugh Jackman. Cause like, for real, like you really lucked out with that one. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it was around 1875 or 1876 that the decision to board young men slash boys at their home kind of backfires, mostly because uh, when Maria is seven years old, her older sister, Zofia, contracts typhus fever oh. from one of the boys and she dies, oh. which is pretty sad. Yeah. Um, and then about three years later, Maria's mother dies of tuberculosis. <laughs> Not sure if she contracted that from the borders, but I would imagine like probably. Yeah. Who have like all of these like little kids running around and right. they're just full of germs. And it's mm-hmm. also eighteen seventies, so like <laughs> they can't do much about it. Yeah, like low key catch a case of tuberculosis, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so she began a- attending a boarding school in the same time frame as her mother's death, and then Afterwards, she also attended a gymnasium, and then she graduated on June twelfth, eighteen eighty three, with a gold medal. So I don't really know why I included that. I just because, kind of thought it again, was again gym gold medal. Yeah, there's got to be something where that's like what is a gymnasium? That's got to be like where the word comes from. Like, there's got to be some etymological tie. Well, the gymnasium, well, gymnasia were traditionally like Greek in origin, and okay. it was where young men were trained both academically and physically. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because I literally was like, "What am I looking at? Like, what is this thing? Yeah. Is it just a giant gym where there's kids? Like, what is going on here?" Right. Um. And then I just thought it was interesting that we actually had her graduation date, so I thought that was yeah. cool too. And this is not going to be the first gold medal, bitch wins. Ooh. Hey. So I just thought it was a nice (laughs) foreshadowing. (laughs) Um, And then there's this period of time where Maria struggles with depression. And I think it's probably losing her sister and her mom. And yeah, that I mean, she was growing up not in poverty, but like definitely in more difficult to survive conditions. So she spends much of 1884 in the countryside with her father's relatives. And in 1884, Uh, 1885 she moves back to warsaw to live with her father and she spends her time earning money by tutoring and she and her father both wanted her to continue her studies at a university but because she was a woman she wasn't allowed to so this is where it got really really cool yeah major fart noise for that for sure um i don't know if this was a Russian thing or a Polish thing. And the reason why I'm saying this is because what I'm about to explain 
was something that like the Polish people specifically did for education. Okay. So I have a feeling that it was a much more Russian idea to like not educate women. Okay. So the reason I say this is because in 1885, Maria gets involved with what's called the Flying University, also sometimes referred to as the Floating University. Again, so very say anything. Graphics. What do you think that's going to be? Well, based on what we've learned, not gymnastics, I guess, but (laughs) I don't know, maybe like a traveling school, like it doesn't have one location. And Mm -hmm. so it pops up a bunch of different places, like a pop-up school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's actually an underground- I swear I didn't read ahead. No, it's great. It's basically, so I'm glad that you said that because my first thought when I saw floating university was a school on a boat. So like you definitely- Like 100% thought that through more than I did. I was like, oh, so like boat school? Mercury also had her boater's license? Wow. Like that was like straight up what I was thinking. I love it. (laughs) Turns out that's not it at all. So it's actually similar to what you said. So it's quoted as being an underground educational enterprise. So basically, it was secret school for university students. That's lit. So the reason why, yeah. So the reason why she was allowed is because the underground school allowed women to go and take classes okay. rather than like what they were like banning women from doing in normal Polish universities. The flying or floating university actually like encouraged this. And so it ran in Warsaw from 1885 to 1905. So it ran for quite a bit of time. And then again in 1977 to 1989, um, I'm sorry, 1981 during the USSR's reign oh, in Poland. That's cool. Yeah. So I thought it was cool that it kind of came back. Um, So the goal of the Flying University was to provide Polish students the chance to obtain a traditional Polish education without the interference of the Russian Empire. So basically, it was an education that you didn't have all of the government censorship Mm -hmm. and overbearing control on education, like I mentioned earlier. And I have another bullet point in all caps because I am here to say that education is a right, but it is treated like a privilege. And I think mm-hmm. that is still something we see today. Definitely. Honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think kids don't like, like I'm thinking about like how Maria had to like go out of her way to go to school and to get an education and to learn. And I think that just is so empowering and also like heartbreaking. Yeah. I feel like there's just this loss well, considering, of- Considering like how smart she is and like they would have very easily had her never go to school or like do any of this stuff. Yeah. And she sought this out and her father- like encouraged her to seek this out and like her siblings also are very focused on education but like I think it's just interesting you know I wonder if a lot of students felt like this in my head I would imagine that there were enough people who wanted to continue their education that they started an underground school yeah and I I just wonder like is there that same sense of like curiosity today you know because like maybe I'm just so overwhelmed with school and I just see kids who just don't care all the time I mean, there is an element, I think, of like, how do I phrase it? Like, school is expected. So it's not mm-hmm. like, I really want to go to high school. It's like, obviously, you go to high school. And that's what you yeah. do. And there's not an element of like, it's for privileged people, or it's going to like, change your life to go to high school or not, or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't have that same feeling. And yeah, so it's absolutely. probably not as revered as it was then. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I think that Maria was able to study like what she wanted to as well, which yeah. a lot of times like you don't really see that same opportunity for kids today where it's like, right. again, you're expected to just go to college and here's a hundred thousand dollars in student loans and Yay. like figure it out. Like rather than saying, well, what do you want to do? Like, I sometimes think I'm going to force my kids to go to trade school. Like, no, right. go be a plumber because you're going to make way more money and people yeah. are going to need Don't you in bother. 10 years. Like, yes, exactly. And if that's something that you're more interested in, like, I'm not going to force you to take loans out when you don't really understand what you're doing and whatever else. Yeah, for sure. So. Like, I remember, so this sounds like very privileged that I know it's coming from a very privileged point of view, but like... When I graduated high school, particularly, I, like, did not care. I was like, this is not an accomplishment. This is just mm -hmm. what you do. And, again, I know that is not true for, like, very many people. And so that's a very, like, privileged thing to say. But for me, it felt like this is just what you do. You graduate mm -hmm. high school. And then it was sort of the same after college. Like, cool. But I was like, yeah, I got my college degree. Like, what else did you think was going to happen? Yep. And I think graduating grad school was the first time where I was like, oh, that was extra. Or, like, yes. something special you did, which, again, I always feel bad saying that because I know for a lot of people graduating high school is a really big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. um, but just coming from, like, an educated family, kind of like she did, it was always assumed and so it didn't feel special in any way yeah was, absolutely whereas when and you I have like an I'm underground school super built, similar yeah yeah like even just getting my job I was like I don't understand why it's a big deal like I'm supposed right. to get a job right isn't that what we're doing here you know right what I mean? like what was my other mm -hmm. option right so I think that's why it's kind of cool because Maria like her other option was like get married have babies right. only and you know she had a huge family amount of or amount of support from her family mm -hmm. that was like you know, you can do literally whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a woman chemist, like fucking go for it. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just sort of like, you know, and I don't even know. I couldn't find anything saying that it was like expected of her. But like, again, she had just had that natural desire to learn and that natural curiosity that I think it was just like her as a person wanted that. You know right. what I mean? Um, it was actually really cool, too, because it was around this time that. Oh, shit. I have to say her sister's mm. name. I'm just going to call her B from here on B. out, but this is going to be the last time I say it. So Maria and her sister Bron Bronislava enter into this agreement with each other. So basically, Maria says that she'll work for two years to help support B in her medical studies. And then after that time, B will work to repay her by doing the same. So like. Okay. Yeah. We're going to take so it's turns. Basically like, exactly. You work and help me support myself in the time that I'm in school. And then after those two years are up, I'll do the same for you. I love that. Which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. So Maria gets a job as a governess for the Zorowski family, who is related to her father. And I thought this was interesting. Eventually, while she's working for the family, she falls in love with their son, Casimir's. That seems like it has some problems, but okay. Yeah. So. Like, is this the son she is governessing? How old is this son? I have questions. So, I'm really glad you asked that because I could not find anything. Oh, good. I'm I really glad you asked that because I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I literally was like, okay, is he the kid that she's watching? Like, right. You know, I don't know. I couldn't find anything. I'm pretty sure there were multiple children. Yeah. And he was more like the older son. Let's just say that. Like the one that already grew up. Right. Because from what I understand, the family did not approve because she has no money. And they're also related. Oh, I don't yeah. know which was like the bigger deal Probably with the money. either her being poor. 
I was just going to say it probably was the fact that she didn't have a lot of money to offer the family and not the fact that they were like third cousins or whatever. But the family does not approve of the match. And so Casimir's is like he doesn't have any legitimate leg to stand on. Like he can't be like, no, but I love Maria and I want to marry her. And like so he eventually goes away to school. And this is why I think he was the like older one mm-hmm. because he eventually goes on to university and then he gets his doctorate in mathematics. Okay. And I thought this was really sad and kind of beautiful. Um the two are separated and it's a huge heartbreak for our girl Maria, but apparently Kaz becomes a professor of mathematics at Krakow University and he eventually is often seen as an old man sitting underneath or beside the statue. I think in Warsaw outside of the Radium Institute often looking thoughtful and pensive like oh yeah like I feel like he really did love her but yeah. he really couldn't do anything about being married her. to her right right <laughs> right exactly exactly um so I thought it was kind of cool and sort of beautiful and sad that he would like because it, it is interesting too because her name is you know her name is Marie Curie and like what happens after this almost relationship with her somewhat relative slash employer like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this could have changed the course of history you yeah know what I mean so I thought that was kind of cool yeah so in the beginning of 1890 Maria is inv- uh, invited to join her sister B. And her new husband, whose name is also Casimir's, and I literally was like, holy shit, did B marry this brother or the oh. whatever re- relative? She did not. This Just was a different. Name. Yeah. Okay. So my first thought was, oh, my God, she married the guy. And then my second thought was. Because she's also poor and related to him. That's what I mean. I was <laughs> like, is this bitch for real? And then I was like, nope, nope, different. Because. <laughs> Casimir's I guess that's a common name but like how also shitty would that be for you to go live with your sister whose husband is also named the man's like name that you love like right (laughs) that you're pining after in Paris the city of fucking love like are you kidding me oh it sounds like miserable like what a terrible place and way to be a third wheel so she declines that offer and so (laughs) Maria stays yeah I fucking 100% was behind that so she continues her studies at the uh, university underground university in Warsaw she lives with her father she works as a tutor and she kind of just keeps working her ass off at the floating university and um, she actually gets her first access to a lab in the Museum of Industry and Agriculture in 1891. So I guess this lab was run by a cousin of hers. She has a lot of family, apparently, who were like well connected. Okay. And this cousin had worked closely with the scientist Dmitri Mendeleev, who was the creator and founder of the periodic table of elements and periodic law. Oh, I know that one. Mm hmm. I knew that one, too. I was like, oh, my God, I know what that means. And I thought that was kind of cool, too, because, like, you know, our girl's going to go on to discover a new fucking element. So yeah. Pretty cool. Um, so eventually later on that year, her father gets a higher paying job as a teacher and he's able to provide Maria with the money that she needs to go to Paris and continue her education. And so she does do that. So she moves to Paris. And from here on out, we are going to be calling her Marie and not Maria. I that's didn't even her... notice you were calling her Maria. So at first I was writing Maria, not thinking about it. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, shit, it's Marie Curie. And then I realized it was because I was just reading Maria. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it became Marie. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spooky. Ooh. <laughs> 
then so she stays with her sister and her brother-in-law for like a short amount of time it from what i was reading it seemed like she just wanted to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible i again there was no like legitimate reasoning it's not like you know she wrote in her diary like Dear diary, I really hate living with my brother-in-law and sister, especially because right. my brother-in-law is named after my like long-lost love. Yeah. Um, I think it was also because they were just further from the university. So Maria was sense. actually more practical than, you know, like us heart, like heartbroken. Um, yeah. yeah. We're like, it's so sad she's pining for him, but really it's like, bitch doesn't want to commute two hours, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so she only stays there for a short period of time and then she moves into her own garret. Which was an Ooh. attic apartment, and I googled what a garret was, and they are miserable. Yeah, it like it's sound literally fun. living in an attic. Yeah. yeah. So Marie studies by day and tutors at night. She sometimes forgets to eat because she's working so hard, and she was so poor and overworked that she would often sleep with all of her clothes on whenever it was like freezing cold because there was like no heat in her apartment. In her attic, and also in her attic, yeah, and also imagine the attic and like the summer. Yeah, miserable. No. Um, but it was all worth it because in 1893, she graduates with a degree in physics and she starts working at an industrial lab before she earns a second degree in 1894. And she begins her career in the industrial lab where she's investigating the magnetic properties of various steels, which was commissioned by the Society for the Encouragement of National Industry. And this is also going to be the same year that Marie's life would forever change in the meeting of Pierre Curie. And that is where I'm going to hand it over to you. Yes. So Pierre Curie is, you can probably guess, the guy that Marie will eventually marry. And so as she begins her career, he is an instructor at a university that I'm only going to say the name of once because it is (laughs) the City of Paris Industrial Physics and Chemistry Higher Educational Institution. What do you mean you're only going to say that once? I, Boo, I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. It's too long and I hate it. I literally, when I was typing it, had to go between tabs like four times to get every word in there. What's the acronym for that? It was some like, what was it? Like ESPCI or something? Yeah, ESPCI. ESPCI. Right. So we just hate it. But that's where Pierre works. And this they makes have me think of Dory when she sees the escape hatch yes. and she's like, Escape. That's me right now. <laughs> yep. And so they have a mutual friend who knows that Marie is in need of a larger lab space. So mm-hmm. he connects her to Pierre. And Pierre actually like doesn't have a real fancy lab space for her, but he he's able to find her like kind of a shed area that she can work in. Yep. And so they meet that way. And Pierre, he was like a little prodigy too. So he had finished his degree by the time he was 18. Um, his father was also a scientist who had taught him and his brothers as they grew up. So somewhat similar background to Marie, but a little bit more privileged and he was able to finish school quickly and also he was a male so he was able to actually you know correct do shit Mm -hmm. correct and so even before he met marie he and his brother had developed some things that are still in use today so they developed a new electrometer to measure electric waves and like that's something that still that concept is used today and matters today so he had his own accomplishments like even before then but basically him and marie are both just obsessed with science and like fell in love over how much they loved science and doing experiments and all these different things um yeah so they're really cute and he proposed and she was like no i'm moving back home to poland (laughs) and he was like that's okay i'll come to poland with you and she was Aww. like, no. And so she went home. But that's like a huge deal. I know. 
It You're was... literally leaving like Paris, which yes. is like, and he like, I don't want to be ironic, but the creme de la creme of fucking scientific investigation and discovery to go to Poland, which was like not nearly as prestigious. That's really cute, right? And so she goes home to Poland on her own and they continue writing letters and he is still like thirsty Mm. as fuck because one of the letters, the quote, (laughs) there's a quote from it and it's, it would be a beautiful thing, a thing I dare not hope if we could spend our life near each other, hypnotized by our dreams, your patriotic dreams, our humanitarian dream and our scientific dream. Oh my God. I just got full body chills. Right. That's stunning. No one has ever said. I know, like that to me. And I'm getting married in 33 days, and like that better be his vows. That I'm gonna literally hand that to Eric and be like, just read this, right? Just change scientific (laughs) to like teaching or Um, dogs or dogs. Yes. (laughs) So while she's in Poland, it becomes clear that the sexism is worse there than it is in Paris. Again probably goes Mm. back to to the Russian Empire and she's not going to be able to get a job in like academia or science in Poland like she dreamed about. So Pierre writes in a letter, come back here and get your PhD. He convinces her to come get her doctorate in Paris. Um, and part of that is she had just convinced him to get his doctorate. She like encouraged him and he got one and so he's like, you come back and we'll do the same thing for you. Oh. So She comes back and they do get married in July of 1895. And Pierre is great, but there's like a gross quote that goes around all the time where people, contemporaries would always say like, Marie was Pierre's greatest discovery, which is gross. I hate that. I hate it as well. But he was nice. And a nice thing about their wedding is... So she basically says, I don't have a nice dress to wear to the wedding. So if I'm going to get a dress, I need a practical dress. So she gets married in a dark blue dress. That's her lab outfit for years because oh my God. she was like, if I'm going to spend money on a dress, I need to be able to use it at work. So she oh, gets married in so that dress. smart. Right? I sometimes hate myself for buying the dress that I bought. No, but I have I like, like, you know what? <laughs> I have absolutely no desire to get married, but I'm like, when can I have a party where I wear a fancy dress? Yeah. I honestly, you know what too, with this whole like fucking global pandemic i kind of was just like i need this yeah (laughs) i deserve this that's very so i just tried it on a couple days ago too because i haven't worn it in a year yeah and i was like wow this is something like (laughs) it is a fucking dress i have a friend and her husband and they've been married i don't know like eight years or so and they about once a year just put on their wedding outfits and dance around the house because they're like well i'm not gonna only wear this once yeah i've heard of couples that do that i actually had a friend who um took her dress and her husband's suit on their honeymoon and they like wore it out for a night and i I was like that's actually such a great idea i love it so they get married and they go on a honeymoon where they like bike around france so traveling and biking are two of their like passions that they love to do together this is literally couple goals i know by the way right (laughs) so they do that and then they come back and they're like okay we're gonna get back to work So around the time of, what is it, 1895 and 1896, there's obviously other scientists discovering things. And there's Mm -hmm. two big discoveries that really like inspire Marie and Pierre. So in 1895, the existence of x-rays is discovered. So not a lot is really understood about how they work at the time, but the fact that they exist becomes known. Wow. And then in 1896, it's discovered that uranium salts emit rays that look like x-rays. And I was like, okay. 
Um, but basically <laughs> what that meant was that radiation didn't rely on an external source to get power, but it could be spontaneously created itself. Okay. And so that piece of information kind of set Marie and Pierre off on some research. So they basically realized that radiation could exist without men or people making it. Correct. Okay. Yes. And so they didn't actually have a lab. She worked out of this converted shed near the school where Pierre worked. That's wow. that's kind of how they met. And it actually previously had been a medical dissecting room. So Ooh. it has really poor ventilation. It like wasn't waterproof. They had no clue that they were being, you know, exposed to things while they were working there. Mm -hmm. um, and even some other famous scientists later went to visit it and like thought he was being pranked that that was where they worked because he was like there's no oh way God. this is where they work but it was like their little like slice of the world right like that was their shed where they did their research and all that that's like the true measure of genius for me because i'm getting right? like steve jobs vibes yeah and, like, like that shit was made in like a garage or whatever like that literally means that you were able to take pretty much nothing and create something right yep. yeah and so ashley starts investigating different things i thought it was cute marie is actually using the electrometer that people Pierre and his brother invented. So that like previous accomplishment is part of what she's able to discover. And she finds that uranium causes the air around it to conduct electricity. And that basically led to a hypothesis that radiation wasn't the outcome of molecular interaction, but came from the atom itself. Oh. And so basically it led towards the idea that atoms are indivisible. So I do not fully understand the implications of that but I do know atoms right. are indivisible. And so it's basically the foundation for like a ton of future scientific research, including hers, but also all sorts of different stuff. Wow. And in the middle of this, so in 1897, she gives birth to their first daughter, Irene. And mm -hmm. she actually takes up a teaching job for extra money because at the time she was getting grants for her work, but the school wasn't sponsoring it and she wasn't being actively paid. So she would get money to use on the experiments, but she wasn't really bringing anything in. Right. So she takes okay. up a teaching job, but continues to do her research on the side because it's something she's passionate about. And be a mom. That's and be a like mom. so incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. And then, so she's working primarily with two uranium minerals. So one is called pitch blend and one is called torbernite. And... She basically figures out that they're both way more active than uranium. So the pitch blend is like four times as active and the torbernite's twice as active. And mm -hmm. what that meant to her was that the two minerals had to contain small amounts of another substance that was more active than uranium. So she begins trying to find other substances that emit that radiation. So mm -hmm. by 1898, she had also found thorium to be radioactive. And it's part of the okay. part of those. Um, she also coined the term radioactive. Like that comes from her and Pierre's work. Right. Um, and at that point, when she found thorium, Pierre like drops all his other work. He's doing something about crystals. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But he drops it all to help her because he thinks it's like so great and important that it's more worthy than whatever he's doing. Love, love a nice little man. Which like, again, full body chills. Like right. that is literally being supportive of your partner. Yeah. That's like, you know what? What I'm doing is important, but I think what you're doing is even more important. And I want to be a part of this for you, with you. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be Pierre Curie and everyone's going to give me credit for this shit. It was like, you know what? My wife's doing some really incredible shit and like, I'm going to help her out with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they at that point know that they need to like establish 
priority, basically, that they discovered those things first. Mm -hmm. Because really recently, there'd been quite a few cases where people discovered something, but they didn't act fast enough. So somebody else got the credit. Oh, Um, so they go, they try really fast to do this, but they discover that two months earlier, a man named Gerard Carl Schmidt had discovered the same thing in Berlin. So they're kind of like discouraged for a minute because he found thorium as well. And so they don't get the credit for that, like officially. Right. But they realize that even though he found thorium, he hadn't noticed the point about pitchblende and torbernite being more active than uranium itself. So mm. he found part of it, but like in a different way. And so they can take okay. the, the other part and keep doing research and they continue investigating it. Okay. And in doing that, they discover another element um, in 1898 called polonium. And it's believed to have been named for Poland. That's what I saw too. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Because again, we, this is like Poland always gets shit on historically, which right. is like awful. And she was so proud of being Polish. Yeah. And like, so they're like, we'll call it yeah. that. I love that. I hope and that's then, true. Same. Just a few months later, so December of 1898, they discover another element called radium. But um, um, so that's also they coined the term radioactivity. And in this case, they want to be like really sure nobody can doubt their discoveries that they found it, that it's true, etc. So they keep working trying to isolate polonium and radium in pure forms. So this was like wow. really hard. Um, radium was particularly difficult to discover and to work with because. They had trace quantities, but not enough to really work with that hadn't been contaminated. And they mm. eventually realized that, you know, they're working with small amounts of things. It eventually took a full ton of pitch blend for them to get one tenth of a gram of radium. Yeah. So, so that was what I was seeing, too, in my yeah. research is like, again, I don't know shit about this stuff, but like radium was like not something easily come by. Correct. And so in yeah. 1902, they get that one tenth of a gram. And it's 1910 when she actually isolates pure radium metal. So this Mm -hmm. takes a long time. Um, One of the things I thought was cool is that the way they separated out radium salt was using um, something called differential crystallization, which is what Pierre had been working on before. So it really kind of was like a nice combination of like what he knew and what she knew. Yeah. It was like literally the perfect blend of both of them. Exactly. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. And she never was able to actually isolate polonium. It has a really short half-life and I tried to understand why that mattered, but all I know is that means she could never isolate it. And so in the years between 1898 and 1902, they published a total of 32 papers. Um, So some of them were just Pierre or just Marie and some of them were a combination with both their names. Mm-hmm. Um, and it included one paper that actually stated that radium exposure could lead to tumored and diseased cells outgrowing healthy cells. So kind of the start of an understanding that radiation might be dangerous. Oh, wow. In 19- and that was only in one of their papers? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, what I saw was including one that proclaimed all that. So at okay. least one of their papers at least recognized that information. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1903, she's awarded a doctorate from the University of Paris. And actually, the same month she's given her doctorate, doctorate, they get invited to speak at the Royal Institution, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But they get there and Marie's actually not allowed to speak. Um, They're like, oh, no, the woman can't speak. So only Pierre gets to speak, which is stupid. Oh and I hate God. it. Ridiculous. I also really wanted that to end in Pierre being like, then I will not speak either. But he did. But it's fine. Yeah. Um, because they, and you know what though? I bet Marie was probably like, no, you gotta go talk. They honestly like just cared about the science 
a lot. Yeah. And so because you have around this time, like a whole industry based on radium is being built up. So all these people Mm -hmm. are making money off of it and getting rich off of it. But Marie purposely did not patent it. Because she wanted other scientists to be able to work with it. Right. Um, and so she was trying to, like, leave it kind of in the public domain. And so because of that, while all this money is being made off radium, they aren't making any money off the radium. They really are just, like, trying to advance the science and to learn as much as they can. Wow. And so that's sort of where I'll hand it back to you um, to talk about the Nobel Prizes and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in December of 1903... The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences awards Pierre Marie and a man named Henry Becquerel, who I'm pretty sure was their assistant in all of this, mm-hmm. um, with the Nobel Prize in Physics. So again, I don't know, and we talked about this maybe even before we hit record, but like what the like why that's physics and not chemistry. Not a clue. Like so I, I know no I idea. saw a couple things that some of her discoveries led to the kind of proof of the belief, the idea that something about the conservation of matter was different than they had expected. Like right. it, it kind of undermined the prevailing current beliefs about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But I don't know enough about those beliefs or the truth to know why that's physics. Exactly. Exactly. So regardless, because she's, she's going to win another one in chemistry. Uh, spoiler alert. But um, so the three of them are awarded with the Nobel Prize in physics in 1903, but actually very similar to what you were saying with the speech. Originally, it was just Henry and Pierre who were being awarded with it. Mm -hmm. But because Pierre actually complained. Yeah. um, So basically, from what I understood, there was this committee member on the Swedish Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences who awards these things. And his name was Magnus Gosta Mittag Leffler. And I literally just wanted to say that name. So yep, fair. <laughs> Magnus is so cool. So he is like a, I don't want to say a sympathizer, but like he's much more of a feminist. He's more like science is what's important. Who gives a shit if it's right. a woman or a man who like discovers something. He lets Pierre know that the award's only going to be for him and Henry. Uh. And Pierre writes this letter of complaint directly. And the committee is like, all right, we'll add Marie's name onto it. And so, yeah, so she's the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, which is uh, so cool. Um, And they declined the trip to Stockholm to accept the award because they were too busy continuing their research. And very similar to what you said, their focus is much more on the science and discovery of everything and not like the recognition. It was also noted that Pierre typically didn't feel too well a lot of the time like he kind of had these like various ailments and like I wrote radioactive illnesses with four question marks because my thought is like this is probably you know side effects from being in close contact with this but they also just didn't like public crowds or ceremonies in terms of like honoring themselves for it. Uh, The following year in December of 1904 Marie has their second child named Eve I love her children's names also. Irene and Eve are nice. Yeah Uh, and so they they eventually take the trip in 1905 because you actually are required to give a lecture in accepting the Nobel Prize. And so they use their award money to hire another lab assistant to help continue their research. And this is going to be a game changer for them financially or just really like in terms of access to resources because the University of Paris gives Pierre a professorship and chair of physics, which gives him like full access to more money, time and labs in order to conduct more research. So the University of Paris is really supportive of like trying to basically say we have a Nobel Prize winner on our staff. Yeah. And Pierre accepts because like, 
I mean, he and Marie were working out of a shed. So, like, now he's going to be able to have access to pretty much anything that he might need. Right. But Marie is still denied access to having her own lab. And Pierre, again, complains. And the University of Paris is like, fine. So they agree to furnish a new lab for her. And they say that the lab's not going to be ready for another one or two years in 1906. Which I don't think they were just... Like, I don't think they were like, no, we're not going to do it. I think it was just like, this isn't our top priority. Right. So um, they start to work together more closely with the University of Paris resources until tragedy strikes literally no. in 1906. And this was like gut-wrenching to read. I hate it. So, yeah. Um, so on April, April 19th, 1906, Pierre is uh, crossing the street at the Rue Dauphin, which is a very notoriously busy street, apparently, for that time. I don't remember being on the Rue Dauphin, so yeah, I, I imagine do. it probably is still fairly busy. But um, it was pouring rain and he is like walking across and he slips and he falls under Relatable. a moving horse-drawn carriage. Oh, so and he's one trampled of them, by a horse. No, it's oh. actually worse. Oh. Um, he did not get trampled by a horse. He was walking across when he falls. One of the wheels on the carriage ran over his head and he died instantly from a fractured skull. I hate it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a freak accident. I I mean, not that I'm, you know, I'm not sure how many people died statistically from, you know, horse-drawn carriage incidents. I would imagine a few, but also, like, this was, like, really bad. Apparently, like, if you got run over by a carriage, you didn't necessarily die, but, like... He did. He got run over with his head, and that was it. Oh, and their kids are um, so little. Yes, their kids are very little. I think her, the youngest, Eve, is only, like, three. Two, yeah. Two, two, yeah. She's maybe just two because, or probably one and a half because she was yeah. born December and this was April. So yeah, she's only like a year and a half. So I don't know if she ever really remembered him. This was really kind of fucked up. His father and lab assistant weirdly said that they were not shocked that he died in this way. And okay. it was kind of his fault because well, he was always so lost in thought and he was super clueless and absent-minded. And if he was like a little bit more focused and paid more attention, he wouldn't have like tripped and slipped and fell and then died. Okay. Yeah. Which I thought was like, <laughs> what a weird thing for grieving people to say. Right, like that might be true, but is now the time. Right. Well, if only he wasn't so brilliant and lost in thought, he wouldn't have slipped in the mud and been run over by a carriage. If only like, his what skirt the fuck was is longer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like he was asking for it that's literally what it sounded like yeah oh my god okay so marie is absolutely devastated um uh, and it's understandable after hearing their like power couple move right so what's really cool is on may 13th of the same year literally just one month under after pierre dies the university of paris retains his chair and position and offers it to marie instead okay go university of Which paris is really cool yeah uh so she accepts the position because it's a huge honor and it's also like in her husband's memory right. and also she's the first woman professor at the university of paris because of oh. that so pierre again i'm like in this that. like that's what i mean i'm in this like weird place where i'm like really sad pierre died but pierre's death opened up the door for her to have even more access and i think right. he probably would have been fine with that yeah so uh like i said she is the first woman professor at the university of paris and marie wants to create a state-of-the-art world-class lab at the university in tribute to her husband 
But by 1909, the university still hasn't followed through on their promise to do that. Because again, with Pierre, it's like, oh, uh, white dude, we should definitely give him anything he wants as quickly as we can. Marie is like, we'll "We'll do it. Just like we got some other shit to do. You know what I mean? So it was at this point that another scientist, Pierre-Paul Emily Roux, suggests that she leave the University of Paris, basically say screw that, and move instead to the Pasteur Institute and get the lab that she actually deserved because she discovered a lot of different things and she was like still continuously working on these things. And like people recognize that and they yeah. wanted her to be a part of their staff and to be a part of their discovery and, you know, give their, you know, stuff a good name. So the University of Paris gets pissed at this because they're trying to like poach Marie. And so they finally relented and they're like, all right, so together, from what I understood, the University of Paris and the Pasteur Institute give her the state of the art lab. They kind of do like this as, as a joint effort. And eventually this lab becomes known as the Curie Pavilion, which is really cool. Uh, in 1910, Marie successfully isolate, isolates radium, like you said. And she also creates and defines an international standard for its radioactive emissions, which measurements are called the Curie, which I think is also really bad. That is. In 1911, 1911 is a weird year, by the way. I think I literally wrote like, what the hell, 1911? Because <laughs> this was like a very up and down year. So... The French Academy of Science had failed to elect her into a membership into their academy, even though it was like pretty damn obvious that she absolutely should be a part of this like really prestigious institution. Yeah. And it was apparently short by only like one or two votes. And it was interesting because they actually don't accept their first woman into their academy until 1962. But the woman they end up uh, bringing into the um I guess the scholarship or membership is Marguerite Perry, who was a doctoral student under Marie at the like very end stages of Marie Curie's life. So I wrote ha because ha. in some way Marie Curie still got her ass into the French Academy of Science by way of a student, which is pretty cool. France also is undergoing extreme xenophobia and rising nationalism. So actually really similar vibes to what we talked about last week with Asfran. Um with like the you know, sort of hatred for people outside of cultural norms, I guess. Mm -hmm. So people knew that Marie was Polish. And so the French were like increasingly not about her. Yeah, I saw something where they were like calling her Jewish, but she wasn't. And also that was like an insult, I guess. Yes, I saw that too. And it was like you, um, I think it was because there was, I mean, there was rising anti-Semitism in the early 1900s um, in Europe, but there's a specific like hatred towards Polish Jews. Right. So, and again, I don't know why it doesn't make any sense to me. So the French are increasingly unkind towards Marie and her work. They're a little iffy with funding her. You know, it's not like the University of Paris is like, get out. But the French government is now getting involved because radium is starting to become a lot more of a, what is the word I'm looking for? Like Like a hot commodity. Yeah. Yeah, it's a commodity. And it's like, yo, there's some serious stuff that we can do with this. We really need to like get on it. So... In 1911, it gets even weirder. Like, they have all of these, like, news reports that her daughter later goes on to sort of criticize and say that when Marie was uh, nominated for a French award, like, a French-based award, she was, like, referred to as this, like, unwelcome foreigner, Polish Jew. And it was, like, she was seen as this, like, I don't know, like, 
trying to steal the glory from like actual quote unquote French people. But then simultaneously, if she was oh like nominated for an award outside of France, she was like written about as if she was this like French hero. And it was just super hypocritical in their approach to her. And then it got even worse in 1911 because she apparently had been having an affair with her younger lab assistant who was only five years younger and she was in her 40s. So we're not talking like something predatory. We're right. just talking something like maybe like borderline cougarish. Right. Maybe a power in Paris. But mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't even think it really necessarily was because her her lab assistant had also been a student of her husband's. And so okay. they had always worked closely together. Yeah. But the issue was this guy paul langvin um was in it, not in a romantic relationship i mean he was he was married but he was estranged from his wife so like he and his wife basically like didn't live together or interact with one another but the press portrayed her as a foreign jewish homewrecker which i thought was again interesting because she was not jewish and she was not a homewrecker they were already like their home had already been wrecked um and then the scandal broke when she's at a conference in belgium and she returns home to find her house surrounded by an angry mob and I wrote WTF because what the hell do people care? Unclear. Like, but what does this have to do with her scientific advancements? Like, nothing. But <laughs> right. a fun interjection at this part is so yeah. after they come home and she, like, goes into hiding, basically, mm-hmm. Albert Einstein becomes, like, her little confidant. Oh and God. so they'd always been friendly. They had worked together for a period of time and kind of Yeah, he'll each actually other. come back up post-World War One. yeah. But he sent her letters, um, and one said, where is it? I am impelled to tell you how much I have come to admire your intellect, your drive, and your honesty, and that I consider myself lucky to have made your personal acquaintance. And then it says, as for the frenzy of newspaper articles attacking her, he encouraged Curie by saying to simply not read that hogwash, but rather leave it to the reptile for whom it has been fabricated. So oh, he was just wow. like, fuck them. Like, you're great. That's fire, Einstein. Right? He was just like, you're great. Screw them. Like, go on living your best life. Yeah. Um, that's cool as hell. So yeah, that's just a fun interjection at this time. And he was young, too. Yeah. And he just starts sending her these letters, like, hyping her up, basically. Like, fuck the haters. Yeah. Yeah. Like- <laughs> That's so cool. I know. Um, Yeah. So she flees. um, She takes her kids with her and they go to this, her friend's house in Paris and they basically are like seeking refuge. But then also in 1911, she wins the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. So like, again, that's why I said 1911 is a weird effing year for her because she's like, everything sucks. Her one year affair gets revealed. Part of it is Einstein's trying to encourage her to like, go get her Nobel Prize. Like Mm -hmm. not to just stay home sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she does go, she does end up going and then her second Nobel Prize um, was for isolating radium and polonium. And she is the first to win and share two Nobel Prizes in two different categories. Yes, I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I saw that And that's that too. actually only shared with like one other person. Yeah, like across multiple sciences. It's not yes, exactly. Again, if you're wondering how that's possible, listeners, I don't know. I don't know. Same. So don't ask us in an email what the difference is and why that's considered I, physics and chemistry because we just don't know. If I knew, I would also have two Nobel Prizes. Right. Exactly. What did you say when I was texting you? It was like if radium if if a new element fell on your head, you still oh, yeah, know I was like I would, it. the elements yeah. still exist and I the elements exist, and I still couldn't discover one if you dropped it on my head. Yeah, because I don't under I just don't, don't know. Like, what do you mean? Like, what does an element look like? <laughs> I don't, 
don't know that's even why when i watch stuff like the avengers and like tony stark is like whatever i just straight up don't understand right and it's like a fake movie and it's like pretty obvious and i still am like i don't understand no still and then i i'm always like vibranium that one's not real that one's just a black panther oh i know that element that's what captain america's shield is made out of yes that one's from wakanda Wakanda. yes a real place (laughs) yes oh god oh my god um so the second Nobel Prize allows her to finally persuade the French government to actually support her. Because oh. <laughs> I guess a woman has to earn, you know, two, two Nobel fucking prizes to get some type of, like, legitimate support and recognition. It's fine. <sighs> um, so they agree to build the Radium Institute in 1914, which would become an important lab and institute for the study of chemistry, physics, and medicine. Also for and that man to go month- cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also for the man to go cry. Well, I can't like, remember. Three seconds. I was like, "What man are you talking I about?" And I was like, "Oh, right, Kaz. Yeah, Kaz. That was it. Kaz, Kazmias, or whatever. Yeah, Crenshaw, whatever his name was. Yeah, like, bitch, look what you could have had. Right. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, so then in 1912, one month after she accepts the Nobel Prize, she's hospitalized for a kidney issue and depression. Hmm. And so, actually, most of 1912, this is when she kind of goes into that like prolonged period of hiding from public life yeah. and she hides out in england with another scientist before she returns to her lab and work after 14 month o- months away and if we know anything about marie curie and her late husband they did not take time off to work so the fact that she was gone for over a year from working and researching yeah. is pretty big she declines a warsaw scientific society's offer to be the director of a new lab they were building in warsaw because she wants to continue building and establishing the radium institute in paris okay but the building of the institute would be put on hold for several years because of World War One, And that's not going to stop Marie from doing some super badass stuff, which I did not really know about when it comes to World War One. So I knew the whole like radium and like badassery and Nobel Prizes, but like I didn't realize what she did during World War One. Yeah. And, like, it's really freaking cool. Yeah. I only read a uh, little bit of it because yeah. I was trying to like save it for a surprise where I didn't need to see it. Yeah. But I didn't know any of that either yeah it's so cool marie believes and recognizes the importance of wounded soldiers getting medical care as soon as possible and that's going to drive her entire focus for the entirety of world war one because she realizes that there is this like huge need for field radiological centers so basically she's like okay we need to be able to get x-rays out there because the sooner we can help soldiers the faster they can recover and like you know if you leave people like injured for a long period of time their recovery is not going to be easy or possible in some cases so she really like pushed like okay we need to make sure that like we are providing as quick of care as we possibly can Mm -hmm. and we know world war one is notorious for being the most brutal war that the world literally had ever seen it was called the war to end all wars before it was world war one because literally people didn't think there could be a war worse than it i have a stupid question yeah did they call it World War before World War Two, or like is it like no, how they called it okay. the War to End All Wars or the Great War? The Great okay. War was usually so it's what like it was how called. like your name can't be something senior until you have a kid who's junior. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, okay. and because literally, like the brutality of World War One is going to be so fucked up. Right. 
that people straight up were like, there's no way we could ever have something like this again. Yeah, that Which makes is sense. why you have like the interwarriors as such like a, you know, if we ever do something about like Hitler and the rise of the Nazis or whatever, if we ever decide to give them any kind of space or just learn about it, like people gave Hitler whatever the fuck he wanted because they were afraid right. of the thought of another, another war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the brutality that Marie was going to see is catastrophic and so (laughs) this is so cool so she quickly studies radiology anatomy and auto mechanics and she develops mobile x-ray vehicles oh like okay yeah like just got to invent what have i done i straight up have done nothing it took me like like three hours to do the research for this podcast Dude, I know. I, I'm like, every time I finish editing an episode, I'm like, well, look at me. I'm like a professional. Like, <laughs> this woman just like was like, you know what? These are the three things I need to learn. She quickly studies them, understands them enough to develop moving x-ray machines and the cars. I don't even know if we have that stuff today. Yeah, I, I don't. I can't think of like, I don't, I've never been in an ambulance. Thank God. Like, maybe they have x-ray machines, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I have no clue. So Could not tell you. She's assisted. Yeah. So she's assisted by a military doctor and her 17-year-old daughter, Irene. Again, yes. badass queen. Who actually, Irene and, goes on to win a Nobel Prize with her husband. Yes, yeah, she does. Oh, and oh, I've got a fun thing about her husband, too. Okay. I can't wait. We'll get to that. Um, So Marie directs a fleet of 20 mobile radiological vehicles and 200 units at field hospitals in the first year of the war omg are you kidding me right now that's literally what i wrote in 1915 she produces hollow needles that contain radon which would then be used to sterilize infected tissue from the various wounds that soldiers received so again radon's not like super safe right but not like the best right like you do radon testing when you buy a house kind of thing yeah but it was like a huge deal because it helped kill any type of infection in Mm -hmm. like the wounds that soldiers had. So it's estimated that she may have helped over 1 million soldiers be treated with x-ray units. And she was given no formal recognition by the French government for her volunteer humanitarian efforts. This is volunteer. Mm -hmm. Nobody was like, okay, Marie, study these three things, build a moving fucking x-ray machine and go help a bunch of men. Like she just did this because she was like, this is what needs to be done. I can't. Like, queen. I can't. Amazing. So she also, as if this wasn't badass enough, attempts to donate her actual gold Nobel Prizes. Like, here's the gold. Melt it down. Do whatever you need to do with it. And the French government's like, no, we're not. We're not going to take this. Like, right. this noble fucking prize. Like, yeah. we're not going to take your prizes. <laughs> yeah, but like, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? So instead, she's like, fine, whatever. She's pissed. And she goes and buys a bunch of war bonds with her prize money. Again, oh. amazing. Yeah. And then in 1919, she writes a book called Radiology and War about her experiences and findings. So even though her research was on hold for like four or five years during the war, she still, I mean, she still in, in effect discovers stuff yeah. by like living it so so cool uh in the 1920s and like night like late 1930s well no it's like early 1920s early 1930s she does a lot more touring and speaking than she does like scientific work Um, i know she actually comes to the u.s a couple times yes okay Mm -hmm. do you have you have this so i I do i won't yeah mention it i just thought it was so weird (laughs) yeah So in 1920, on the 25th anniversary of discovering radium, the French government establishes a stipend for the continued study of radium. In 1921, she and her daughters take 
Here we go, folks. This is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. They take the RMS Olympic. Oh, the actual Titanic. So they... (laughs) Exactly. This is like a hidden Mickey. I was screaming. I was like, oh my God. Like my notes are like super highlighted. (laughs) So they take the RMS Olympic, aka the Titanic, over to the United States. She meets President Harding and she's received at the White House. And then he gifts her with one gram of radium. So weird. Right? And I thought I was like, why would you give that to the person who like discovered this? well, and then the, do you have the next time she comes too? Um, I didn't get too much into it. Okay. Cause she comes like right at the very beginning of what becomes the Great Depression. It's like right mm. after the initial like week that stuff starts to go bad. Oh, um, wow. That's a bad time to be there. Right. So like April of this year. But, um, <laughs> and so they don't have enough to give her like a gram of radium again. But they're like, shit, last time we gave her a gram of radium. So they like fundraise and give her like enough money to buy some amount of radium. Like, they basically give her a radium gift card because they, like, can't get the radium at the time. And she's like, you really didn't have to do that? Like, I know there's Guys, some shit. I discovered this. And she's like, I know there's some shit going on here. Like, you did not have to do that. And I, she, like, donates it back or something. But... Yeah, actually, you know what? I read that she equipped the Warsaw Radium Institute with radium. Yeah. She that was must like, be where she got the money to do that. Right. She's like, I don't need this. But they're like, no, we gave you radium last time. We gotta give you radium this time. That's, like, going to give like the head of starbucks a starbucks gift right like thanks could you give me a new element i could do something with right like wow the thing i discovered yeah it's like what's that little vine it's like it's an avocado yes that's what it felt like yes uh, in 1922, she becomes a fellow of the French Academy of Medicine, and she travels to other countries for lectures and pre- uh, presents on her research. The Curie Institute then goes on to produce four more Nobel Prize winners, including her daughter, which you mentioned. And this is the cool, fun thing about her son-in-law. So her son's name was Frederick jo- Jolot Curie, okay. meaning that her daughter and son-in-law oh. hyphenated their names love it right love so that. like her her daughter kept her name but hyphenated it and then i mean listen it probably was also like oh everyone knows the last name oh, curie, yeah, but, like, especially if you're scientists a hundred percent oh the curie curies like how yeah. many fucking curies could there be exactly. right but still yes yeah. um in 1922 august she becomes a member of the league of nations which was the precursor to the united nations uh okay. and eventually will completely collapse because of you know world war ii that's fine but we're, it was we're also not in, in that anymore to... so it doesn't matter right right we're not exactly um so it was created in order to prevent another war but they did a really shit job mm-hmm. of that um and this is also einstein uh and her interaction again yeah. because einstein's another member and they are on the committee on intellectual cooperation so this is again like scientists who are saying you know, yeah, it's great to discover stuff, but we want to cooperate and work with one another in order to, like, advance things, which right. is pretty cool. She writes a biography of her husband's life in 1923. And like you said, in 1929, she does her second American tour where she is given a radium gift card. And then yep. she <laughs> basically uses that gift card <laughs> to equip the Warsaw Radium Institute with radium. The institute then opens up in 1932. And super cool. She installs her sister, B. 
as the director of that institute. Yes, so, nepotism. So cool. Yes, I love it. Uh, the International Atomic Weights Committee and Cameron Prize for Therapeutics of the University of Edinburgh are two things that she is a part of and she wins. And this is getting to be towards the end of her life. She's now in her like early 60s. And she visits Poland for the last time in 1934, and she dies on July 4th of 1934 at the age of 66 from aplastic anemia, which, if you couldn't already guess it, is believed to be a result of her long-term exposure to radium and radiation. Yep. So basically, aplastic anemia is um, a deficiency of all blood cells. Red, white, whatever the fucking colors are. Like, there's basically no continuous production of blood cells. And... Even today, I did a little bit of research on it. People who are diagnosed with it have like a five-year survival rate, even with today's treatment. So I'm pretty sure this thing killed her like pretty quickly. Right. I'm surprised Um, it took that long though. Like, yeah. For her to make it to 66 with all the stuff they were doing. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing, too. So a fun fact about uh, aplastic anemia is (laughs) Eleanor Roosevelt also had it. Oh. So I don't know. I think that's how she also died. It was Hmm. very common in the very young or the very old. Interesting. But you were more likely to survive if you were younger, from what I was reading. Okay. But the other reason why I bring it up is because this was, again, most likely a result of her long-term exposure to radium and radiation. Yeah. Because even though they wrote one paper where they're like, this can cause problems, there really were, like, no obvious dangers at the time and like there were no safety protocols put into place for it so she was known to like carry test tubes of radioactive isotopes in her pocket and put them in her desk drawer and then she'd be like look at how they glow which is fucking nuts (laughs) like literally yeah i want to be like girlfriend do you know what that's doing to you um also her extreme exposure to x-ray machines over and over again throughout world war one uh she never really acknowledged the health risks full-on that it affected her yeah uh she was like near blindness at her death so i don't know if that was like you know just leaving stuff out of that or if it was like it isn't because of that i mean i have a feeling that i don't know i'm wildly speculating here but i feel like it was probably she knew that it was not really helping her body but she also didn't want to make people afraid of it that they wouldn't do anything with it yeah so uh she was buried next to her husband until 1995 when the pair were um basically taken from their resting place originally and were encased in lead-lined coffins and moved to the Paris Pantheon, which, again, I feel like I've been there and I don't fucking remember this place, but... What's cool about that is she's the first woman to have this honor based on her own merit. Okay. Meaning that the women who are buried there are there because they're, like... Right. Or, like, queens or, like, some shit that, like... Got handed to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't, like, earn it. Um, So the papers from her 1890s research are considered to be too dangerous to handle without protection, including her cookbook and the materials and like research papers and whatever are all currently kept in lead lined boxes and you have to wear protective gear in order to handle those things. Um, And that is the end of life that I have for Marie Curie. Okay. So I have a little bit about her legacy. Obviously it can't touch on everything i mean we've talked about a lot of it so far about like institutes she helped found and labs she helped build and people she helped train and like there's no way to to really quantify 
all of that. Right. Um, but essentially, the work that she did reversed established ideas in physics, in chemistry, as well as in the social world. So I kind of mentioned this before, but like the discovery of the radioactivity of radium basically made people reconsider the principles of the conservation of energy as they thought them to be. And mm -hmm. that initial questioning has led to the ability to th do things like discover the nuclear atom, um, begin insight into cancer treatment, like a lot of stuff that isn't directly related wouldn't have been able to been pursued without this discovery. So that's part of why it's hard to say like this and this is Marie Curie's legacy because it affected so much of science in all oh, different yeah. fields that like that discovery is the root of a ton of other discoveries. Yeah. And then also, of course, in social circles, right? The idea of a woman winning the Nobel Prize and being a professor at the University of Paris and all these different things. Yeah. And so it's just, it's really hard to list out like everything about her legacy, but I think you touched on a lot of it. And then the other thing that I think we've kind of hinted at is she didn't really want a legacy as a person. Mm -hmm. Her and Pierre were known to be like really humble and honest and they did not really care about money beyond being able to take care of their family. So like she received scholarships and as soon as she began working, she paid her scholarships back. As yeah. much of her Nobel money as she could, she donated. I mentioned she intentionally didn't patent radium so that others would be able to research it. And basically, anytime she got gifts or grants, she would direct them to scientific institutions rather mm -hmm. than to herself. Um, her and Pierre would refuse rewards and medals that they didn't need or didn't think they deserved. Um, and there's actually a quote from Einstein who said she's possibly the only person who could not be corrupted by fame. Yeah. So her legacy is both like this very deep scientific changed everything but also she like didn't want it to be about her name and about her as a person she just cared about making the science better yeah so there's sort of like two sides to her legacy when you look it up is like she's the most important person in a ton of fields and then also like don't look at her um, yeah i totally think too like it's fine to want fame but like she literally did this for the love of learning and yep. also for like I mean, like, the fact that she didn't patent something that she fucking discovered and, like, right. she could have made, like, the amount of money that she could have made is, like, actually absurd. Right. But that was not the point. And, like, if you think about how many other things went on to be discovered or created or possible with that work and because there was access to it like she was in a shed working with what she could right knowing full well that like you know the right to study these things shouldn't be a privilege and then i thought it was interesting because there was that whole bit where her and pierre were really concerned about establishing priority and to me i associate that with like a patent or a trademark right like you need to be mm -hmm. the first one to do it because then you have the rights to it but they mm -hmm. very clearly didn't care about that they just wanted to be like no we're the ones who discovered it like look what we did but not because they mm -hmm. wanted the money or the the recognition it was just to get that priority even though they didn't use it to ultimately profit off of it right exactly it was like a sense of personal achievement for them right so cool yeah so she's pretty awesome yeah i again this is like another woman that i'm like why didn't we talk more about her again right. i know that like i mean maybe we did in science and i sure shit didn't remember any of it but like you know like she made so many like leaps and bounds in terms yeah. of just like women scientists and this was at a time that like she couldn't legally vote or anything and she right. was 
it's just so and like i think cool. it's awesome that her daughter went on to win yes. a nobel prize mm-hmm. in like the same field that's awesome yeah and her her other daughter eve was not interested in science at all yeah she was like wasn't she like a I think writer she a journalist yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and these pictures of them too like let me tell you something marie curie could beat the shit out of you oh yeah also eve, i don't doubt i that just for looked up eve she's beautiful oh yeah mm-hmm um, also, but this yeah. is so sad. Eve was the only member of her family who did not choose a career as a scientist and did not win a Nobel Prize. I know. Oh, I wait, saw that, too. Her husband too. got a Nobel Prize. Her husband did? Well, he collected it on behalf of UNICEF. Oh, okay. But still. Yeah, I'll count it. We'll count it. You're all fine. <laughs> yeah, and she lived to be 102. Yeah. Like, fuck, that's so cool. Irene did not, though. Irene also, I think, died from radiation poisoning. But, I mean... I love this. Frederick and Irene hyphenated their names after they married. Yeah. Oh, that is just so cool. Why don't we just make that normal? (sighs) Because then what happens when you have a hyphenated name and then you marry someone with a hyphenated name? Oh, yeah. Then you just got a lot of names. Right. Then you have, like, 20 names. But, like, that's cool because it shows your family. I mean, yeah, but Mm. that's too many names. It is a lot of names. (laughs) Like, once you have four, and then what happens when you have four, and then you hyphenate with your husband who has four? Oh, wow. That's crazy. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. It's like a one, um, that's like a one generation fix. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So that's Marie Curie, y'all. Yep. I mean, I gotta say, you did a really great job of explaining the science. Like, I actually understood what you were saying. Oh, good. I didn't. Like, I don't... (laughs) I don't understand, like, how it happened. I understand. Right. Like, why it seems to have mattered. I was trying to figure out, like, why it mattered. Because it doesn't feel like it does when you don't know it. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully you uh, learned some cool trivia about Marie Curie. Yes. Um, Oh, there's also, I'm going to shameless plug, but I have no investment in this whatsoever, um, there's the Hulu. What is that? I'm gonna look it up. Hulu series on Marie Curie. I think it is. Is there Marie Curie? Yeah. So it's called Radioactive, and I don't know if it's a movie or if it's a series, but it actually stars Rosamund Pike. Oh. Yeah, and she plays Marie Curie, and it looks really great. So funny. There was um, also a book called Radioactive, and it's like Radioactive, Marie and Pierre Curie, a tale of love and fallout. Ooh, that's cool. Right? Yeah. I think they did a really great job from what I've seen, like casting her in that she's like super passionate, but like people don't like take her fully seriously. So mm-hmm. oh, it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, oh I nice. have that. Oh, cool. Look at that. I'll probably go watch it. <laughs> I should have fucking watched it before doing this episode. Oh it's my fine. god. We only had so much time. Oh, hindsight, man. But All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at WhatTheHistoryPodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed, and we will talk to you soon.